0: Today I want to talk about taking Yahweh at His Word and giving Him the chance to work in our lives. A few weeks ago, I was meditating on the condition of people's personal lives around me, and I just had this question come to my mind. Why don't people just give God a chance? So that's the title for the message today, and it's really meant to be an encouragement to you to give God a chance. I kept thinking about how things must be from his perspective. If I were the all-powerful God and had provided all things for life and godliness for all of mankind, how would I respond to the continual unbelief of millions and millions of people year after year, decade after decade, century after century? how limiting that would seem for me but then i remembered what jesus did and how he displayed the heart of god everywhere he went even when he was met with unbelief his love compelled him and he offered them hope anyway i want you to look at what happened when he came to his hometown in nazareth let's look at matthew thirteen fifty-four to 58. Matthew 13, 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished, and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, I want to move immediately over to the book of Mark and read how he describes it. So, let's look at Mark 6, 1 through 6. Okay, Mark 6, 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? so they were offended at him but jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching did you notice here in mark that jesus could do no mighty work in Matthew, it says that he did not do many mighty works there. And we'll get to the difference there, but I want to just highlight something in verse 5. Notice it says, he, did, he, uh, he could do no mighty work, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Does that sound like possibly the world today? I mean, if I think of the church services that I've been a part of, I've been a part of services where just everyone seems to be getting healed but a majority of the time I would say a few people get healed by laying hands on them. So why is it a majority of the time that we find what Jesus found in Nazareth? See the difference in Matthew and Mark uh, where Matthew says he did not do works. See, this is a major point of separation between believers around the world today. There are those who would say that Jesus simply chose to do less miracles in his hometown because he was not received there or something like that. However, Mark shows very clearly that God is never the one who chooses whether a person is healed or not. And it's obvious by the fact that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And he would have loved to do more miracles there. In the TV series called The Chosen, they did a wonderful job of showing the life of Jesus and his disciples. But they totally misrepresented the heart of the Father in an episode where Jesus refused to heal the disciple James. Now, please understand that I love the chosen and have supported them financially many times, and I would encourage you to watch the episodes if you can. But they are completely wrong in this one area. We have no recorded history of Jesus ever telling a seeking person, no. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He says many, many times, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given. All who seek, find. Everyone who asks, receives. And I could go on and on with statements that Jesus made. So why then do we find Christians in opposition to these truths? We'll find our answer back in Nazareth. The two things that limited the ability of Jesus were offense and unbelief. These same two things are limiting God's ability to work in Christians' lives all over the world today. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm not offended at Jesus. It's those radicals I don't like. But let me remind you that hating the body is hating the head. When people get offended at me or the simplicity of the message, I'm again reminded that Jesus suffered the same persecution. His family and friends literally said, Who does he think he is? Is he saying that he is better than us? How could he say such a thing? Have you ever heard that from someone? I've had conversations with people who had already made up their mind. They had decided they were going to be offended no matter what I said. I've even had people tell me, don't you dare tell me that person didn't have enough faith, as if they were trying to pick a fight. I even heard a well-meaning pastor the other day And he said, whatever you do, just don't tell people they aren't healed because they don't have enough faith. Now, I understand he is trying to reach their hearts, and he himself believes in healing for everyone. But he is trying to do this without offending them. And the truth of the matter is, the gospel is offensive. My answer to the question of whether someone has enough faith or not is very simple. I just tell them, you're asking the wrong question. It's not that they don't have enough faith. The problem is that they have too much unbelief. You see, the problem is that their faith has been contaminated by unbelief, and it no longer has the power to accomplish what they're asking God for. Everything you can ask for has already been granted to you. It's like owning a car, but never getting the keys for it. Or like owning a house and living in the yard, Offense and unbelief are like twin sisters of poison, and the problem is that they convince people they have a right to be offended. When I say, give God a chance, I'm really saying, believe the truth no matter what. Be willing to lose or miss out as many times as it takes until you finally see it work for you. But what if it never works? I can hear people say that now then you still have unbelief or offense. See, don't be frustrated at my answer. Jesus said it, not me. Now, I've said this before, but I'm gonna say it again here. When you no longer need the healing to convince you of the truth, you are finally open to receive the healing. If you have to see it to believe it, then you don't really believe it. See, the kingdom of God says you need to believe it to see it. So again, give God a chance. Don't write him off as a fraud or add your theology to his word to make yourself feel better or somehow explain your circumstances. Be willing to stay uncomfortable in the apparent inconsistency, even if it means you never receive it in this life. Now, that might seem like a hard statement, but I'm going to even make a harder statement right now. When you're willing to die, believing in healing, you're ready to live forever. I would say, take some time and meditate on that. See there, there's something about having a commitment to the truth that isn't contingent on whether you see it manifest for you, but you're, you're not willing to stop at anything in order to receive. See, this is what the woman with the issue of blood was experiencing. This is also what the Jewish leader Jairus experienced. And both of them took action and came to Jesus for healing. Now, I know I've told this story before, but I'll say it again here. I had an experience with standing on the truth, no matter what, when the flu tried to come upon me a while ago. I began to feel it by late evening and was feeling very nauseous by the time I went to bed. My brother encouraged me with a text and I kept thinking that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I asked the Lord for a word and he gave me Luke ten nineteen. So I began quoting Luke ten nineteen because it says that nothing shall by any means hurt you because right then as the sickness was attacking me and my stomach was hurting, my head was hurting, my whole body was hurting. I literally paced back and forth in my room for two and a half hours, holding a bucket to catch vomit if it came up without warning. And sometime around 2.30 in the morning, I laid down and fell asleep. And when I woke up at 8.30 the next morning, the sickness and pain were completely gone. You see, I had to be willing to fail. I had to rely on the Word of God completely even if nothing would have happened see it's in the middle of your willingness to fail that god is freed up to bring it to pass sometime during that time while i was pacing the floor i just stopped and and just spoke to the sickness and i said what are you going to do if i don't care how i feel i still believe in the word and i will stand on luke ten nineteen, and see the power of that word brought healing to my body. Now, in a previous message, I made another statement, and I think it has much more meaning than what we realize sometimes. The statement I said was this, God's ability to work in our lives is limited to what we are willing to believe and receive. Now, see, there, will, there are many people who will be offended by that statement, because I just said that God has limitations. And you might even be asking are you saying we can limit God's power yes that's exactly what I'm saying even the children of Israel limited God's power in their lives let's look at that in Psalm 78 41 and 42 Psalm 78 41 yes again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. See, the the people that would get offended by that statement somehow feel like they need to stick up for the honor of God, I guess. They're saying, God is all-powerful. You can't say he's limited. But see, this is not a negative statement about him. This is the display of his love. You know what happens when you have an all-powerful being that doesn't have love to limit his power? That all-powerful being becomes a wicked tyrant, and that is not how God is. You see, He limited His power so that we would seek Him. He did it for us, not to keep it from us. This is the wonderful beauty of how God pursues mankind and gives mankind the invitation to pursue Him. I've had this happen to me as well in dealing with people remembering God's provision and healing. I prayed for a lady and she received miraculous healing instantaneously. But several years later it was almost as if she had forgotten. I I, I even prayed for her son after a surgery he had, and he completely recovered from that in only a few weeks. But the doctors had said it would take at least six months for him to recover. But when their friends and family began to be offended at me, she and her son became offended as well. And it's like they couldn't even remember the details of being healed a few years back when I had prayed for them. It's as if they traded the truth for offense. Now, I think if I would really challenge them, I I may be able to get them to recall this. And I don't think they genuinely want or are trying to be offended at me. It's just that they have no answer for the the people around them who are offended. They're trying to make sense of it and trying to explain to other people. And the pure faith without unbelief that they experienced at one time has become clouded by unbelief and offense. Now let's look at a time when Jesus did encounter faith without unbelief. I mentioned these stories several minutes ago and they both happened at the same time. So let's look at Luke 8, 40 through 55. Luke 8 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him and behold there came a man named Jairus and he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus feet and begged him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying but as he went the multitudes thronged him now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. Amen. Now, did you notice how people ridiculed and scoffed at them? That sounds just like the devil, doesn't it? If we go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, what were the words of the serpent to Eve? He scoffed and said, has God really said? Isn't that what happens when we doubt? We've heard the words of God and we've wanted to believe. Maybe we've seen the power of God at work in our life or in the lives of others. And the childlike response is to believe. But then we are given the opportunity to doubt. And that is the beginning of unbelief.